We're so honored that you joined us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Are you glad to be in the house of God? I mean, come on. What an amazing day already, and I just believe that God is going to bless you with this word today. Today, Pastor Lance and Mary Terrell are in Eureka. He is preaching up there, and man, God's been doing some amazing things up there. So this is the first time that they go since Jeremy has been placed as our campus pastor there. So they're getting to see what God is doing up there. It's really amazing. Every week we see growth, and God's doing some unique things. So he's up there preaching today, and I get to continue the series that we've been in called Jesus, Friend of Sinners. And in this series, what we've been doing is we're looking at some of these stories in Scripture that got Jesus the nickname Friend of Sinners, where he spent time with people that the religious would not spend time with. The religious people of the day would not spend time with the sinners, but Jesus said, those are the ones I came for. I came for all who would say yes. So that's the series that we're in today. Uh, but before we jump into the message, why don't we pray and let's just ask for the Spirit of God to bless our time together right now. Lord, we are so grateful for you, for your word, for what you have done to this point, even this morning. God, you had this morning planned before the foundations of the earth. You wanted to say something special to us. So God, we just open up our soul, our spirit, say yes to the seed of the word of God to be planted. God, we just pray that we bear much fruit. Whether we're here in the room or we're watching online, God, I pray that you would reach through the screen and speak by your spirit. Lord, let us hear your heart today. We love you and we surrender these moments to you so that we as individuals and as a church can look more like you. And as a nation, God, we cry out to you and we ask for your intervention, for revival. God, we ask that you would have your way in this great nation. And we pray that it would start with us, with me, in our homes. Lord, let revival begin in us and let it spread through our nation. We need you more than ever, Lord. And we love you and we surrender these moments to you in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. 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 So Jesus, friend of sinners, today's message is actually just a two-word title. I'm good. Now this is a double entendre. I think that's how you say it. Maybe that's a little French coming out of me. Entendre. Close. She's probably right. I'm probably wrong. I'm sure Meadow got this. But it is a phrase that means two things. So you could say it in a couple of different ways. You could say, I'm good. I am a good person. I have goodness in me. I'm good. Or you could say, if someone offered you a Reese's cup, you could say, if you didn't want it, which no one's ever done before, you could say, I'm good. I don't need it. I'm good. But either way, I want to address those two hard perspectives today. I'm good, thinking I have goodness in me, but also, God, you have something that I don't really need as much as others do. So really, none of us like labels, right? You don't like to be labeled. You don't like to have a label stuck on you. Nobody likes to be judged because of something that we do. But the truth is, some labels are just true. Some labels are just the reality. So I don't know if you've ever seen a list like this or not, but I'm going to pick on Montanans for a little while. I've been in, in Montana for over a year now. So I have seen some of this and have uh, adopted some of this with my own eyes. So I'm going to give you a list of things. How do you know if you are a Montanan? Okay, how do you know? You know you might be a Montanan if you measure distance in hours, not miles. That's one, see? All right, here's another one. You might be a Montanan if you have used both heat and AC in the same day. 
Okay, look, I ain't lying so far, right? All right, next one. You might be a Montanan if you prefer driving in the winter because the potholes are filled with snow. It's true. It's just true. You might be a Montanan if when bears wake from hibernation, the story leaves the evening news. I saw it in a news story this week. Uh, you might be a Montanan if your favorite designer labels are Carhartt and Wrangler. All right, come on, who's wearing Carhartt or Wrangler right now? I love some of that too. Uh, you might be a Montanan if you don't put much stock in the weather forecast because it's almost always wrong. And last one, you might be a Montanan if you have worn shorts and a parka at the same time. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's been, okay, I'm going to pick on Cajuns for a little while, okay? You might not get any of these, but I'm going to read them to you anyway. You might be a Cajun if watching Wild Kingdom inspires you to write a cookbook. They say we eat anything, anything that walks, we eat all kinds of stuff. We even eat snakes sometimes. So uh, you might be a Cajun if while eating crawfish, someone says, don't eat the dead ones, and you know what they mean. You don't know what I'm talking about. Let me explain something to you for a second. When you boil a crawfish, if it died before it hit the water, the tail was straight. If it dies when it hits the water, the tail curves, so you know it's pretty fresh. So we don't eat the dead ones. Of course, they're all dead, but the dead ones before we started boiling, that's what we mean. So that's what that one means. You might be a Cajun if you take seasonings with you on vacation. So nobody really likes labels, but some of them are just true. Some of these labels that get put on us, they're just our reality. And one of those labels, sinner, is one nobody likes. Nobody likes to be called a sinner. Nobody likes that to be said about them. Actually, we live in a culture today where it is taboo, it is PC for you to say anybody is in the wrong. You can't say that anybody's lifestyle is a sin, is wrong. We just live in a culture where sinners not on the table. We don't talk that way anymore. And you might be thinking today, yeah, preach it, say it, come on, call out everybody else's sin. I want to talk about your sin today. The truth is, whether you believe it or not, your sin is just as bad as everyone else's sins. And you put Jesus on the cross. Everybody did. I did. You did. We all did. No matter what your sin is, we have all rebelled and fallen short of God's perfect, glorious standard. And sometimes in a series like this, we read a story about a promiscuous woman in the Bible, or we see some of the stories that we show on the screen, and we're like, oh man, they're way worse than I ever was. I kind of had a head start with salvation. I was already going there on my own, and then Jesus was like, hey, you seem easy to save. Come on in. That can be our perspective sometimes. But my sin cost Jesus just as much as your sin did. We're all on the same playing field here. And, and if we don't see that, if we don't recognize it, then our perspective of humanity is going to be off. It's going to be wrong. Nobody needed Jesus more than I did. We have to be able to say that. So our key verse really out of this series has been in Matthew eleven nineteen. 19. Jesus says this about himself. He realizes this, that people were saying this. The son of man, on the other hand, he feasts and he drinks. And you say, he's a glutton. He's a drunkard. He's a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. So Jesus realized, hey, that's what they're calling me. But as we're going to see today, that's exactly what he wanted. That's exactly what he wanted. But we've got to be willing to say, you know what? Jesus died for my sin. 
It changes your perspective. So we were on vacation a few years ago. We went to Florida, and we were at this restaurant where it was kind of open-air seating, where there was a roof, but, you know, anything could come in or out, breeze and animals. So we're out there, and we're eating. We're eating hamburgers and french fries, and all of a sudden, I see a seagull come down. And a seagull comes down, kind of comes close to us, and, uh, and I'm sitting there with Brooke and Brooklyn and Judah, my two kids, and I'm like, my kids have never seen this before. This is going to be a lot of fun. So I'm like, watch this, Judah. So I take a fry, and I toss it out, like out of the, the open-air seating area and the seagull swoops down and catches it and he's like oh that was awesome that was so cool so we're like let's do it again so we grab another fry and we throw another fry and seagulls are swooping down now and catching these fries and all of a sudden before you know it this flock of seagulls descends on us like a Montana storm sweeping through the valley these seagulls come down and they're just like everywhere and all of a sudden a waitress runs up to our table and she's like you gotta stop doing that you can't do that. And I'm like, whoa, I'm sorry. We didn't realize. I'm like, you know, kind of figured something might happen, but I didn't know it was against the rules. And she's like, it's right here. So when you walk in, there's a big sign, do not feed the seagulls. And I completely ignored that. I didn't even see it. Now, I was still in the wrong, even though I didn't know I was in the wrong. And, you know, there's so many of us that say, oh, I'm not like that person. I'm not as bad as them. Their sins are obvious. They're on the surface. The truth is, all of us, realizing it or not, have sinned against God. All of us are in the wrong. All of us cost Jesus his life. And there's a young man today that's going to be the center of our, our, our message today. This is a young man that you might, know, you might know as the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. And he seems to kind of have some stuff together. At least he says he does. But he walks away sad and not following Jesus. And I think we're going to see some of ourselves in this guy's story. So Matthew 19, verse 16, it says this. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says, why ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. So Jesus knows the heart of his question is a goodness issue. He thinks he's pretty good. So Jesus addresses it. To answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. The young man says, which ones? And the man, the man asked, and Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man kind of stops him right there. I've obeyed all these commandments. The young man replied, what else must I do? And Jesus told him, knowing exactly where his heart lies, he says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. And then here's the biggest challenge of all. Then come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. He had stuff, but stuff had him too. And all these things that he had, it wasn't just material things, it was his place. He didn't want to give up his place to follow Jesus. The Bible says that the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he's just out in the wild. He's just living wherever he can at the time. The minister, that's his first priority. And this young man had stuff and he had a place. He didn't want to give it all up. But what's crazy is the man thought he was good enough. He's like, I know that there's something missing, but I'm pretty good. 
Like I come to you, come on, there's got to be one thing. There's got to be something I can put on this checklist, check it off, and I'll be good. Because I've done all the things. I'm the kind of person who takes this external checklist and I just master it. And I know that I'm okay. And Jesus is looking at this man and he's like, you've got a lot of stuff on the outside right. But there's something I want to address that's deeper. And the young man is faced with this. And what's crazy about this is that he comes to Jesus. Like many of us come to Jesus in a service like today. Pastor David has given a response moment and we come to Jesus. Or there might have been a pivotal moment in your life where you felt so lost that you were like, I'm going to give Jesus a try and you come to Jesus. But how many of us leave with Jesus? There's a big difference. This young man and so many other people were curious about Jesus and they came to Jesus. I like what you're saying. I want to know a little bit more. But how many leave with Jesus? I'm going to give you a few different things today. The first thing I'm going to give you to write down is this. Coming to Jesus and following Jesus are two very different things. Coming to Jesus and following Jesus are two very different things. See, the, the young ruler wanted to do a deed. He did not want to be discipled. He wanted to do something, but he didn't want somebody getting in his business, discipling him, revealing things that shouldn't be there. He just wanted to check something off the list. He didn't want the Holy Spirit to come in and begin to get in his business, which is exactly what Jesus starts to do as he brings up all these laws. And the young man's like, that's not really what I came here for. I came here just for something easy. Just tell me what to do and I'll do that thing. While eternal life is literally staring him in the face, he decides to walk away. And he's like, I want to do something. And Jesus is trying to tell him, no, it's not about doing. I am about to do everything that needs to be done. You just follow me. And the young man's like, that's too complicated. It's too hard. I want to do something. I want to have something that I do. And I just think so many of us in the church, it is so easy to come in the door, do your thing, dress all nice, look great. Your family's coming in like a bunch of ducks crossing the street. You know, you got, you got your stuff together. You were just yelling and cursing each other out in the parking lot, but that doesn't matter. As long as it looks good in here, you good. So you come in here, everything looks great. You check it off the list and you go back to your carnal ways and you raise little tyrants because they see the falsehood of your life. So I wonder how many of us, though, we have learned to be religious. We have learned to check things off the list. And, and you know, actually, Paul tells young Timothy, he's like, hey, you got to be careful about people like that. People who, I love how he says it, he says, they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. They have a form of godliness, but deny its power. So he's like, stay away from those kind of people. While we were on that trip to Florida, we wanted to go ride jet skis with our family. So we see these jet skis lined up on the beach, and we're like, man, let's just go to those jet skis. Surely somebody's going to be there. So we're out there, and we're waiting for like a half hour. Nobody's there. I'm like, I could just, like, steal a jet ski right now if I didn't want to be a good example to my kids. I could totally do that. Nobody's there. These jet skis are right there, right by the beach, right by the water, and I could easily, like, just take one. Nobody's there. They don't want to give us access to the jet skis, and my son gets so bored. I've got a photo of him from that day. He just lays down on the jet ski, and he's like, please, somebody come. I got to ride these jet skis. Somebody came eventually, and we did, and we had a blast, but the point is that there is such potential power available to every single one of us, 
And if you don't really get connected to a local body and you don't let yourself get challenged and you aren't discipled, that power is not available to you. Because the Holy Spirit's power is not available to those who are on the outside checking off the list. It's his power and the anointing and the infilling of the Spirit is available to those who give it all. Who say, I'm giving you everything. I am surrendering it all like the, like the consuming fire that you are. Come and burn away everything and leave only what you want. That's the kind of people that the Spirit of God rests with. And I just think there are so many of us that we have a form of godliness, but it's not the real thing. We've checked off lists, but it's not the real thing. And here's the second thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes today. You don't get to God through goodness. You get to goodness through God. You don't get to God through goodness, but you get to goodness through God. If you're, I mean, if you pay attention at all, our culture is crying for goodness. We want goodness. We want justice. We want a cure to the sin of humanity. And all of these things are being being championed online and on your Facebook feed and on the news media. These are the things we have to fix. These are the things that goodness will fix. Be good, and here's how you be good. Be good like me, and we're trying to search for an answer and a solution within out of our goodness. But the answer to the brokenness of our culture is God. It's not our goodness. But when we go to God, goodness comes out of that. And justice will be found. And those good things that our culture and our people that we're longing for, they're found in coming to Jesus but we've got it backwards. We try the good things. We try to check something off the list, hoping it'll fix everything. But we need Jesus more than we need a list of things to do. I love how Jeremiah says, it's not an external list of things, but it is something that was gonna come from within. He says, I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. See, the spirit of God guides us to goodness. It's not an external checklist, but it's a spirit of God at work in us. And what's crazy is Jesus tells this young man, this rich young ruler, he says, follow these rules. And, you know, Jesus is kind of setting them up because this young man actually thinks, sure, I can do all that. I've done all these rules. Jesus is trying to reveal to him the impossibility of self-salvation. You cannot save yourself. That's what he's trying to reveal to him. So I know I'm kind of going through some of these notes quickly, but there's a lot left. Write this one down too, though. Our hope isn't in our goodness. And put quotations around goodness, if you don't mind, so that you know. Our hope isn't in our goodness. Here's what the young man thought. He looked at all these rules. He's thinking of the ones he can remember. And he's like, which ones again? Can you remind me? Because I'm pretty sure I do them. And, and Jesus is like, oh, well, here's the list. In verse, in verse 18, the young man's like, which ones? It's kind of like whenever somebody's like, hey, what's your favorite Bible verse? And you're like stumped, and you're like, ah, uh, all of them. You know, it's kind of like this, the spot this young man was in. He's kind of like, oh, which verses again? Um, so Jesus reveals it to him, but you know what's fascinating about what Jesus says? Jesus does not read all 10 commandments to him. He doesn't tell him all of the commandments. He only tells a young man the commandments that have to do with loving everyone else as you love yourself. Jesus said all the law and the prophets can be summed up in two things, right? Love the Lord your God and love others as you love yourself. And Jesus lists the ones that have to do with loving others as yourself. What's funny is the young man says, I've done all that. And Jesus is like, oh, have you? Why don't you give all your stuff to those people and then come and follow me? And he's like, oh, I ain't doing that. And he's like, well, you don't really do the things you just said you do. So, so the man had a very different 
perception of what following those rules are than what God does. And to the young man's perspective, he's like, yeah, I do all that. And Jesus is like, no, if you did all that, you would give everything you have to other people and then follow me. And the young man's like, I, I love people, like kind of, but not that much. And I wonder how many of us were kind of like, yeah, I like, I ch- I've got some things I check off the list. And it's like, we got this list that we look at and we're like, man, look at that, look, look at that list. It's like 10 things I just did. It's amazing. And God's like, yeah, but these are the ones that are in your heart. These are the ones I'm trying to get to. You won't let me get to that. And the young man, I think he's not the only one who's dealing with this. I'm dealing with this. You're dealing with this. There are things that Jesus wants access to that sometimes we won't let him have. And the young man had to understand. He had to come to a place. He was given the option to understand that it's not your goodness that's going to save yourself, buddy. Like, you've got to come to God. And here's the problem, and this is the last point I'm going to give you, even though I've got some other message left, and this is a long one, so write this down. The gospel can only be received by ones who aren't good on their own. The gospel can only be received by the ones who aren't good on their own. What that means is the gospel is for everyone. It's for you, it's for me, it's for every single person on the earth. But it doesn't work, and it cannot be accepted, cannot be applied to your life without humility. Religious pride is the most dangerous sin. Self-sufficiency, self-righteousness is the thing that says, I know what you did, Jesus, but I got it. I'm good. I don't need some help here. I don't need any help. The gospel is for the humble. It's for those who realize their great need for him. I had a friend years ago, and I was friends with him when I was younger, and then there was a stage in his life, he kind of walked away from the Lord, and he really began to screw up his life. And not only did he screw up his life, but he screwed up someone else's life as well, and he kind of got into drugs and heavy drinking and just kind of wasting his life away. Well, at that period in his life, he ended up sleeping with a married woman, wrecking this marriage. And I'm involved in a church through this whole time, and I just felt like God just kept saying, don't quit on him. Don't give up. Just try to be his friend. So I kept trying to hang out with him, kept trying to be his friend, and there, was, there finally came a day where he was like, dude, I have really messed up. I need to get my stuff right, and I need to get back to Jesus. I need to get back in church, and he knew I had never left him in all that darkness, so he came to me, and we started hanging out. We would hang out at coffee shops together, and he started coming to church, and he'd show up in public with me while people knew his stuff. He was brave, and he showed up, But the family of the young man who was in that marriage that he wrecked came to our church as well. And I got an email one day through the church that went out to the whole staff from this couple of this young man whose marriage was wrecked because of my friend. And there was something along the lines of, if this is supposed to be a spirit-filled church, I've heard people praying in tongues and you know, doing spiritual stuff. If this is really a spiritual church and someone has ever prayed over Josh, they would know he doesn't have the spirit of God living in him because why in the world would he spend time with a homewrecker like this? He's obviously not in the will of God. And I remember hearing that and I was like grieved to my heart, to, my, to the deepest core of me because I didn't want to, I don't want to do the wrong thing. But I felt on some level, I'm like, as I read scripture, I feel like I'm supposed to be this guy's friend. Like, I'm supposed to be with him. I know he's screwed. I'm not saying he didn't. He's really royally jacked up his life and other people's lives. But doing the thing that I thought Jesus would want me to do got opposition. 
and it's going to happen to you if it hasn't already happened to you. Because here's the thing, the religious don't like it whenever sinners are welcome into their circles. Because religious people think, I got here by myself. And while I would never say, I don't even know these people's whole story, but I know for sure their sin was just as bad as my friend's sin. And it put Jesus on the cross just like my friend's sin did. But they had forgotten that. They couldn't see it that way. And I think that we've got to be so cautious that we understand that, look, man, I didn't do anything to get in favor with God, to have a relationship with God the Father. It was all Jesus. And if we're not careful, we're going to find ourselves in a spot where religious pride keeps us from the promised land, keeps us from effectiveness, maybe keeps us from relationship with God. If there's anybody that Jesus fought with and disagreed with and got angry with, it was the religious people. They saw stuff different than he does. And a couple of months ago, this is um, as soon as we got here, we were starting to hear about the epic summers here. We're like, oh, we got to try out the the um, rafting down the river, the Flathead River, and you know what, what do we call it? Floating. We got to float down the river. So we go down, and we're we're floating. I've got my wife, my two kids, my sister, brother-in-law, and there are five kids. So we're floating down the Flathead River, first time I ever do it. We're like, this is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be really easy. we got water in Louisiana, too. We're like, we understand this. So we're just like, we got four kayaks. Let's put an adult. No, we got three kayaks. One of them's a double-seater. Let's put adults in the kayaks, kids in the tubes. And I've got a great idea. Let's just tie all the kids together and have all the adults on their own. So we tie all the kids together, all seven of them in tubes, and we just send them down the river. So we get, we get in, not even like a quarter of a mile down the river. We're kayaking, you know, and then all of a sudden I see all the, all the currents going to the left side of the river, and it's going straight for this large tree right over the water. And I mean, it's like just inches above the water, just hanging right there. And I'm like, all those children are going straight for that tree. So I'm in my kayak, and I'm like, I'm going to go save those kids. So I, I start paddling, you know, and I'm just like, get to the kids, get to the kids. I'm paddling as hard as I can. All the kids are going straight. They're yelling. They're screaming. Ah, they're about to die. I'm like, remember that time I killed my kids and my sister's kids? I'm like, I'm panicking, you know. Well, they, they are all paddling with their hands, you know, and they finally get just around the tree, all the tubes except for one tube. It's my son. He's in the back. He's this tall. He's that skinny. He's a little bitty. So he's like, he's the last one, and he's looking for the tree, and I'm just screaming, and I'm like, I'm seeing, I'm going like, to lose my son. My wife's going to divorce me, like all this stuff. And I'm like, and he goes straight for the tree, and since he's so small, he just goes, whoop, and he bends down like this, and he goes straight under the tree, tube and all, and he's fine. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. I was like, oh, they're totally fine. And as soon as that thought happened, I realized I'm headed for the tree. So I'm in a kayak, and I'm just like, I was trying to save these kids who for sure were going to die, and now I'm like, I'm headed for this tree, and I am not getting out of this. So I'm trying to paddle, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do what Judah did. So I get up to the tree, and I lean back, and the canoe hits, and I'm like, I am not that small. So let me go to the side. I try to go to the side. The whole canoe flips. I've got cameras that fall in the water, water bottles, all our food, chips, everything all over the place. I'm scrambling to get stuff. It's like, I know it's June. It's probably, no, it was July at the time, but like for whatever reason, you guys still keep the AC on in the water. You guys got like icebergs floating down the water here. It's freezing. And I remember like thinking, 
as soon as I got up, I was like, I was the one who was in trouble. It wasn't even them. Like, I thought they were headed for destruction. And I wonder how many of us, we are headed for destruction. And we're looking at everybody else, and we're like, oh, they're going down. They're going down. He's going down for sure. I heard the way he talks. I heard her gossip. I see how she dresses. I see their life, how they're a wreck. They're going down. All the while, you're headed for destruction. And our sin can stop. It can pollute the reality of what's happening so quickly. And we've got to see ourselves the way that God does. In Matthew 9, it says that Matthew, you know, the man who ended up writing this book, this is just such an awesome testimony. He's a tax collector. He is one of these notorious sinners. It says that Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. I love, I love that phrase, disreputable sinners. It makes me think of infamous. That means more than famous. Uh, verse 11, but when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture, which by the way, is the biggest bomb drop in all of scripture that Jesus tells the religious leaders of the day who would have memorized the Torah, go and learn the meaning of this scripture. And here's a scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So Jesus clarifies. He's like, you know how I just said healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do? He's like, what I'm actually saying is everybody's sick, but if you think you're healthy, it's not going to work. This relationship is not going to work because you have to approach me with humility. You have to come with me realizing that you needed me just as much as the scum that you just talked about needs me. Nobody's worse off than you are. We all need Jesus the same. I'm cutting my grass in my yard one day in Baton Rouge, and as I'm pushing the lawnmower through the, the yard, my foot just goes straight in this hole. I fall in this hole in my yard. I had no idea that this hole was there, but I had noticed that all of the water seemed to be congregating in my yard, and all of a sudden there was no water, because there was just this drain that had been found in my yard. There's like a sinkhole in my yard that I had to fix with drains and do all kinds of crazy stuff. But I looked in that hole and it was deep. It was four or five feet. And the, all of the water in my neighborhood on my block was coming straight to my yard and funneling out. There was a dangerous hole that I tripped in that I had no idea was under the surface. And in our lives, it is just like that with sin. There can be so many things that are right under the surface that you have no idea that are there but they're there and you've got to let the spirit of God reveal it to you. And it is so much better for you to invite him in to reveal it instead of him embarrass you later with it. Because he'll do whatever he can to save you. And if saving you means embarrassing you, he'll do that too. But by his grace, he gives you a chance to say, Holy Spirit, show me what's wrong. Show me where I'm wrong. Show me what I've missed. And if we can do that, he'll begin to reveal our heart in places that can be wrong. And he does this with the Pharisees. He tries. He's like, go learn the meaning of this scripture. And then he says, I want you to offer mercy, not sacrifices. And they're like, so mad. What do you mean? You can't tell us to go and learn the meaning. We know exactly what that is. That's in Hosea. If you know the book of Hosea, Hosea is a prophetic book that was written. It's a story of a prophet named Hosea that God told 
as an illustration of his great love to Israel to marry a prostitute and by her unfaithfulness and him continually pursuing her, it would reveal to the whole world how much God loves his people. That even in Israel's unfaithfulness, God would keep going back to get her and eventually he would buy her back, which Hosea couldn't even understand it, but he meant the blood of Jesus would purchase her sin and he would redeem her and all of humanity. But this illustration is something he reveals to the Pharisees and they're like, what are you talking about, dude? We know that verse. We know Hosea. Backward and forward, we know it. And Jesus is like, you might know the words, but you don't have it in your heart. You might know what it says, but you aren't acting like it. You aren't acting like saving lost people is the most important thing in the world. And they had forgotten the scripture that they knew by heart. I was behind a lady one time on a road, a four-lane road. I'm driving students to a youth event. I've got a van full of students, and I have to stop behind this woman who was just jerking down the highway. <laughs> Brand new sports car. So I get out of the vehicle, and I walk over. It's a stick shift sports car, and I'm like, ma'am, do you need some help? And she's like, no, I'm good. And I'm like, no, you need some help. And she's like, no, I'm good. She's like, I don't need any help. I got this. I'm like, well, you don't look like you got it, but whatever. And we just drove away. And I thought, what a perfect illustration of those lost in their sin. Thinking, I'm good. I don't need any help. I got it. And you're sputtering down the highway when God's trying to say, I got this. Let me help you. Let me do what I came to this earth to do. But we have to be willing to surrender to him and say, you, you know something I don't know. Luke 18 says this. Jesus is talking about this man, he, this Pharisee and this tax collector, and he tells this story about the kind of prayer that gets heard. And he said, there's a tax collector who realizes his sin. He prays, God hears it, but he says the Pharisee prays like this. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. And Jesus tells this ironic story that he's like, that tax collector is the one whose prayer was heard because he didn't have arrogance coming to the throne. He had humility. And that's the kind of prayer that God heard. And I just think we have to begin to approach God in that way. We've been telling stories all throughout this series and today's story is a little bit different. It's, it's a girl, Rebecca. She works here at the church. She grew up in the church. And, you know, her story is a little different because God had to reveal to her the religious pride that was sitting under the surface. And maybe her story will speak to you today. Check out Rebecca's story. My name is Rebecca Unger, and I grew up in a loving Christian home. I grew up in church all my life and my parents actually were in the ministry, so I'm also a pastor's kid. I uh, loved being able to have a foundation in uh, biblical principles and a foundation in uh, learning the Bible from a very young age. The specific church culture that I grew up in was a little more on the legalistic side of things. Um, having a personal relationship with Jesus was important, but really more of how I looked. Sometimes I felt like perfection was expected in because I was a leader or maybe because my family was in ministry. I felt like I needed to keep it all together all the time. and not make a mistake for fear of what other people might think. So instead of realizing grace is there for me, 
I believe that I would condemn myself even for making a mistake or for messing up or for not feeling like I've measured up to even God's expectations. It really wasn't until after I became an adult and I was married with three children that um, I realized how good God is and how far His grace reaches and extends um, even to a church kid. I know for me, I was so caught up in who I was, what I knew in my head, and the things I had learned, the things that I had done, I could list them, that I didn't realize that I had let pride creep in. It was almost like a veil covering my eyes that I couldn't even see people for who they really were. I couldn't see people for who God sees them as. And I would see people differently, like, oh, well, I'm not as bad as they are, or wow, they just really don't know the Bible very well, do they, you know? And it was such a prideful, arrogant attitude. It can creep in so silently, so easily, but it's so deadly because it kind of acts as like a fertilizer in the soil of your heart where what grows isn't something beautiful like the fruits of the Spirit. What grows is uh, bitterness, resentment, uh, self-righteousness. There was even a time after having, uh, after getting married, after having three kids, where there was a year of my life where I barely even walked in the doors of a church because I said, there's no point. You know, there's, there's nobody who's going to say, oh, good job, you did a good job with that. I had allowed a judgmental attitude and a judgmental spirit uh, toward others to, to creep into my heart. I feel like I wasn't seeing people the way that Jesus wanted me to see them, or even the way that Jesus sees people, because Jesus came to this earth and saw everyone the same as sinners in need of a savior and I was basically putting myself in a different category than everybody else here I am a church kid and finally as an adult in my 30s I'm standing in a church service and it was the first time that I ever raised my hands in a church service and I remember it so clearly because I don't even actually remember raising my hands I'm, I'm worshiping and I have my eyes closed and I just felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and the next thing I knew my hands were in the air It kind of started like this but then all of a sudden they were just both way way up high in the air and then I, I was just I was weeping and I re in that moment I said okay I give up <laughs> like it's it's all yours I release control so that was my big thing was control I have to keep it close I can't be vulnerable I can't show people for who I really am just that feeling of this heavy weight being lifted off of me so I would just say if there's a Rebecca watching today that I believe that Jesus is calling you deeper. The Holy Spirit has gifts He wants to bring out of you. And if there's pride in your heart, those things can't come out. He wants to break down that wall. 
He wants to give you a deeper life with Him, give you a deeper relationship with Him, because that's where true joy is and really true freedom. so grateful for Rebecca's story and maybe you see yourself in that a little bit. I was a church kid too. I grew up in church and I remember feeling the same way about so many things that I've got all these checklist things. As long as the outside looks good, I'm fine. And I love how she revealed and I love how maybe the Spirit of God is revealing to you now. Now I want the real you. I want the stuff that you're not letting anybody else see because it matters more what's on the inside than what's on the outside. I'm gonna ask um, Adam, would you mind helping me out with an illustration? We get you to come on up on this side. This is a Fiji water bottle purchased this morning. Now this is, yeah, come on up here. Thank you, sir. I'm gonna just read to you the description. This is some really great fresh water. It says, in Fiji, tropical rain slowly filters through the ancient volcanic rock before collecting in a sustainable aquifer deep within the earth. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds great. Look at this on the bottom. It says, it is untouched by man until you open the cap. Wow, that sounds pure. It's a gift to you. You go ahead and open it and uh, take the first drink of that bottle. So um, as he's about to open this up, before you actually put it in your mouth and drink it, though, I did want to tell you, it actually has been opened before. It's got a funny story. I opened it up, poured all the water out, and I filled it up with toilet water this morning. So no kidding, it is actually toilet water in that bottle. So go ahead and enjoy it. So uh, be nice and refreshing. Uh, do not drink it, please. It really is toilet water. Do not drink it. Can I please have, I don't want to get sued or anything. Thank you so much. That's good. Thank you. You guys give him a hand. All right. It really is toilet water. I washed the outside though. I did wash the outside of the bottle. So the reason I say that is because what matters more? Is it the logo? Is it the description? Is it the label? Is it how this thing looks on the outside? Or is it what's on the inside? Because there is legitimate toilet water in this thing. I am not kidding with you. See, that's what matters. What's on the inside? We could work so hard on getting the logo right, getting the label right, getting all the checklists and people read about you and they see your Facebook profile and they're so impressed. Oh gosh, she's got it together. They really have their life together. Look at, look at how they're posting. Look at how their family walked in like a bunch of little duckies. Look at all their stuff. They got their stuff together. Jesus tells the Pharisees, the religious Fiji bottles of the day. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're so careful to clean the outside, to get the logo right, to get the description on there of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee first, wash the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside will become clean too. And what Jesus is not saying to them is you go wash it and you go make it right. He's saying, let me in. I'll do all that. That's the work of the Spirit. The Spirit of God cleans us out, removes all the stuff that doesn't belong with His consuming fire, burns away everything that doesn't belong anymore. He does it. But there's an invitation on our side that invites Him in and that says, I know 
that if it were not for Jesus, there is no hope for me. It is not a checklist I can check off. It is not a thing I do. It is not a way I look, but it is all Jesus, all day. And I think for us, as we go into Easter next week, I really want us to, you know, this week we've got to let the people know in our world, in our circle, Jesus loves you. And there's a great church community that I would love for you to be a part of, to come and check out. And your greatest tool to reach people is not to look like you got it all together and be like, look how impressed. You want to be like me? No, the greatest tool is for you to say, I was a wreck. I was nothing. Without Jesus, there's no hope for me. I was worse than you. You did whatever, it didn't matter. I was worse because I was so prideful. I was so whatever. You own it. You own your thing because it still put Jesus on the cross. But you own it with people and you say, man, I, I needed Jesus so bad. And he changed me dramatically. That's the greatest witnessing tool you have. Here's what he did in me and he wants to do it for you. But you got to realize the people that you're talking to outside of these four walls are not worse off than you ever were. You've just responded to the Spirit's invitation and the Spirit is inviting them. So today, I just, I just want us to be the kind of people that this week we say, and it's not just Easter. Easter is not the only time people get saved, but it's a great time because people say yes to an invitation to church at this time. So it's a great time for us to say, Lord, let me have your heart. Let me see people the way you do. So I just want to give us a chance to do that. I want us to give us, I want to give you guys a chance in a second to just lay down the thing that's inside, that's behind the label, that's behind the, the logo, that's behind it all looking good. You get a chance to do that in a second as we worship. But I also want to give people a chance right now with nobody looking around. This is just a moment between you and God. If you're here today and you need to say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Maybe it's the first time you've ever done this. Maybe you've done this before, but you would say, I am not faithfully following Jesus. And I, I realize today that it is not my works. It is not me, but it is only the grace of God. And I need to say yes to him today. If that's you and you need to say yes, you need to surrender your life to Christ. And you're in the room. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand in a second. But if you're online, just let us know by writing in the comments. That's me, I believe. Today's the day I make a decision to follow Jesus. So if that's you and you're here, and you'd say today, I'm making a decision to follow Jesus. Nobody looking around, it's just between you and him. Can you just lift your hand? Say, that's me, I see it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you. Guys, can we all stand up together? We're gonna pray a prayer together, and then I'm gonna give you a chance to respond how the Spirit of God might be speaking to you individually today. It's just a prayer of repentance before Jesus. Let's just pray this in unison together. Let's just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I realize my sin is just as bad as everyone else's. And you came to this earth to give me hope. You lived a perfect life. You died a sinner's death on a cross, but you were risen again. And now you want to rise me up to new life. So I walk away from the past and I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we praise Jesus right now for inviting us into relationship with him?
Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Hope Church. If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support the ministry of Hope Church at hopechurchmt.com give. Also follow us on social media at hopechurchmt. Be blessed and have a great week.